So if you're new, we are in, um, I don't know what part it is, we're actually ending this series we've been in over the past uh, number of weeks together. And it's a series called Found. In this series, we've been exploring some stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And there's some amazing truth that we can learn through these stories. And I think Jesus was trying to help us understand what God is really like. And he's not like what most of us think he's like. So often we see God as a cold-hearted, distant, uh, always disapproving of us kind of God, and yet Jesus came along, and through these stories, the audience he was talking to then, and us as our audience still today, Jesus is saying, God's not like that. God is like a father who runs to his son when that son repents and comes to his senses and comes home. That's what God is like. And I hope this series has helped to maybe change some of your perception of God. I think we all have a wrong perception of God at one point or another in our lives. And Jesus wants to help clear that up for us. So if you've missed any of the messages in this series, I strongly encourage you to go to our website, theepicchurch.com. You can go to our iTunes account as well, and you can listen to the messages there. And I think this is one of those series that would probably be good for us to revisit throughout the year, um, because I think we all need to be reminded of what God is really like. As a part of this series, we've asked you to participate with us through what we're calling our found board. So we have two found boards up here, and we asked you to write on a little post-it note what you found when God found you. And so we've had a lot of people participate in this, and I hope that you were able to, I hope you were able to read some of these. Somebody said that when God found them, they found purpose. Um, and somebody said they found forgiveness of sins. They found, they got their life back. They got purpose. Um, a father who truly loves me. Um, they, they found, uh, I was lost in the world and, and God found me. I'm a new woman. I have new life. Those, those are just a few of the things that we can find when God finds us. And so uh, if you have a chance and you want to, after the service, you can come up and flip through some of these things and just observe some of the other things that, that people have found when God found them. So I want to say thanks to you for participating and thanks to our creative media team for putting these together. I think Betty Jo put these together and so we're grateful for her skill set on that. Thanks, Betty Jo. Now, uh, let me recap this story that we've been in over the past few weeks, and then we'll dive into the older brother perspective of this story. So Jesus told this story to some religious leaders, and he said, here's the story. Um, there's a dad, has two sons, and the older son um, was a pretty good kid. Younger son, not so much. Younger son says, dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die, so please give me my inheritance now. And the father, surprisingly in this story, did that. He divided his wealth between his older son and his younger son. Younger son took off with the money, went to the big city, blew everything that he had, had nothing left. The only job he could get when he was at the bottom or below the bottom was a job feeding the pigs. Nobody would give him anything. And then Jesus has this, this amazing statement when this son is at the bottom and he says he came to his senses. So in that moment of feeding pigs, he came to his senses. And he said, what am I doing? Like, I got to go home. I, I blew it. 
I sinned against my dad. I sinned against heaven. Like, I have to go and make this right. And so he goes back home. His dad sees him coming. His dad runs to him, gives him a big hug and embrace. And he says to his dad, dad, I've blown it. I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. His dad tells the servants, quick, go get a robe, put it on him, uh, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. We got to have a big party because my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. Have this big party. So that's the basic elements of the story, but we haven't really spent much time with the older brother. And so we're going to do that today. But before we do that, let me ask, how many of you have older brothers or an older brother? Okay, so a number of us have older brothers. I have an older brother that I have looked up to all of my life. Not only is he older than me, seven years older, he is taller than me. So he's like six foot and, you know, I'm like five nothing. So I have always looked up to my older brother. But let me tell you a story from when we were kids. Well, I was more of a kid than he was at that time. But it's a story that highlights just my fondness for my brother. So when I was in elementary school, he was in high school, we lived in Missouri. And where we lived was about 45 minutes to an hour uh, away, depending on whether you rode the bus or, or drove a car to our school. So one day I had the amazing privilege, and it was like a real privilege. This didn't happen very often, where my brother drove me to school. Normally I was on the bus with 50 other chaotic kids, but I got to ride in the front seat with my brother all the way to school. It's kind of a cool experience. So we get to school and we're running a little late. And I remember I have forgot my lunch. So I'm in elementary school thinking I'm going to die. I'm going to starve to death. Like, I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't have my lunch. And my big brother comes to my rescue and says, here, just have mine, and then he rushes into his building for class. I'm left standing there with my backpack in his grocery bag of a lunch. So my brother played football, big guy. He's got two sandwiches, like way more than I could ever eat. So I walk into you know, class with, with all this stuff, and then I get called to the office. What's at the office? My lunch. Yeah, my loving mother found a way to get my lunch to school. So I go get my lunch and I come back. At lunchtime, I'm looking at my brother's grocery bag of lunch and I'm looking at my little bag of lunch and I feel so bad. Like I feel so bad, I can't eat lunch. I'm thinking about my older brother starving to death over in the high school. So he's at the high school cafeteria starving while I have this smorgasbord. So that day, I couldn't eat lunch. And I took both of our lunches home with me. So I got home and my mom's like, why do you have both of the lunches? Why didn't you eat lunch? Because my brother came to my rescue and like, I felt so bad. Like he'd probably starved to death. You, you probably got to go to school and find him because he's probably dead. He's in the cafeteria somewhere. And come to find out, my brother didn't starve. He bought lunch that day. <laughs> but that didn't bother me because I loved my brother for coming to my rescue and caring so much about me. He was willing to sacrifice so that I could have lunch. Now, the older brother in this story, the story that Jesus tells, he's not like that. He's not like that at all. He does not care about his younger brother. He doesn't care that his younger brother went off to the big city and wasted it all, all of his money. He doesn't care that his younger brother was feeding the pigs. He really doesn't care at all about his younger brother. 
And we're going to get to know him in verse 25. But verse 24 says that uh, the father threw this huge party for his lost son. And then in verse 25, the older brother shows up. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was, what's that word? Angry. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, You've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Now, most often when we hear the story of the prodigal son, we hear it from the son's perspective. And we hear about him blowing it, messing up his entire life, receiving the father's grace and mercy. And that is an amazing part of this story. And yet I think it leaves out one of the primary reasons that Jesus told this story. See, Jesus told this story for us to understand there are two ways to be lost. One is obvious and one is not so obvious. Let's go back to verses one and two for a minute. Verse one says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So we have two groups of people that often spent time around Jesus. There were tax collectors and notorious sinners. And everybody else thought, why in the world would these people want to be around Jesus? And why in the world would Jesus want them to be around him? They're not godly. Uh, they are certainly lost. And these people hearing Jesus' story would have fully understood what it was like to be the prodigal son. Like they had their own prodigal stories. They, they'd made decisions that, that left them in some very bad places, like symbolically feeding pigs, and they understood that. They understood that they were in need of the Father's grace and mercy. But then there's a second group. Second group are the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. So they are like the professional Christians of our day. So like my occupation, they would be the pastors, they would be priests, they would be rabbis. And these are the people who have dedicated their lives to studying the Bible, to applying it to, the, to their personal lives, worshiping God, praying on a regular basis, just living out what they're supposed to be living, like doing the right things. And that's the primary audience that Jesus tells these stories to. So we always have to remember, who's Jesus talking to when he's speaking? So he's telling these stories directly to these religious leaders. And when I've grown up kind of listening to this story, I've always kind of imagined that these religious leaders might have a tear in their eye as they hear about the Father's grace. But that's not what happened. It's not what happened for them in this moment. You see, they became angry. They were upset with Jesus for crafting the story the way that he did. You see, Jesus was saying, you are the older brother and older brothers can be just as far from the father 
as younger brothers can. In fact, Jesus made the case that older brothers can actually be farther from God than younger brothers. And that made them upset, and here's why. In this story that Jesus told, when the father divided his wealth between his sons, he divided his wealth between both sons. So uh, the older son and the younger son. And when the younger son took his wealth and went off and wasted it, the older son didn't. The older son stayed. He stayed home. He took care of the family business. He took care of his dad. He did the responsible stuff. He always did the responsible stuff. He always did what his dad asked him to do. He was like that model child you look at and like, oh, I bet their room is always clean. I bet they always do their chores. Like, God, why didn't you give me one of those kids? You know what I mean? That would have been fantastic. Like, he was that kind of of guy. He was the guy that always did the right stuff and where we would hope that this responsible older brother would be happy that his lost brother has come to his senses and finally come home where we, we would hope that he'd be happy for that. He wasn't. He wasn't happy. He was angry. Verse 29 says, this is him speaking to his dad. He says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So what's he really saying? He's saying, I am angry and I'm not coming into the party because I've always done what's right. I've always followed the rules. I've always done what you've asked of me. And because of that, you owe me. You owe me something. So again, Jesus says through this story, you can follow all the rules and still be lost. You can do everything that you're supposed to do and still need to be found by the Father. And where this younger son separated himself from the father through his rebellion, the older son separated himself from the father through his self-righteousness. And with this story, Jesus shows us there's a much deeper issue when it comes to sin. And so often we think of sin as like following the rules or not. If I follow the rules, then I'm doing great. And Jesus says, you can still follow all the rules, and be lost because there's this deeper issue going on here. And the deeper issue is that sometimes we start convincing ourselves that we don't quite need the Father's grace and mercy. That somehow we can be our own savior. We can get there on our own. And so there's this uh, wrong perception about right living sometimes that tricks us into believing because I've done right, God owes me. He owes me something. I follow the rules. I, I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I help little old ladies across the street. I mean, kind of whatever is needed to be done in that moment. I, I do it. I do it to, to the degree that I'm, I'm trying to be a fully devote, devoted follower of, of God. And so God, because of that, you owe me. Maybe some of us think that God owes us a life of prosperity some of us think that, that God owes us, that we, we should never have health issues, we should never have financial issues, we should never have work issues, relationship issues. God, you owe me because I have been good. And I don't know if you've struggled with that, but I have. And 
my sad confession today is that I have been both the older brother and the younger brother in my life. I've had moments of rebellion and I've had moments of self-righteousness where I think I can do it on my own, where I think uh, because I've followed the rules, or at least in the last 10 seconds I've followed the rules, you know, there's moments where I put, like to put a you know, time frame around that. God, like I've been obeying you for like a whole minute now. Like you gotta do something for me. You owe me. You have to bless me because I've been good. I've done the right things. And when we have thoughts like that, Jesus may be our helper, he may be our advisor, he may be our life coach, but he's certainly not our savior. And I find it so interesting that Jesus crafts this story. You gotta remember, this is a story that Jesus was telling, so he crafts this story to his audience, what they need to hear, what they need to wrestle with. And so he strategically crafts this story where the lost son gets found in a self-righteous older son gets lost. And I think he did that for several reasons. The first is I think he did that to show us that the requirement for receiving God's grace is to know that we need it. We are all in desperate need of God's grace. And we don't get God's grace because we've earned it, because we've worked so hard. Look at me, like I've got a perfect attendance record at going to church. You know, every time I show up at church, God puts a star by my name because look, there they are again. We, we don't get God's grace because of the good things that we do. Like we should live in response to God's grace. That's, that's why we, we do the things that God asks us to do. We all need to admit we are desperately in need of God's saving grace and him as our savior. We've talked a lot in this series about this issue of repentance, And it's the issue of of us admitting, we start by coming to our senses, we come to our senses and say like, hey, I have been wrong. I've been on the wrong path. And then we turn towards God, that's the repentance part. It's not just saying, hey, I've been wrong, but adding to that a response in how we live. You know, I wanna live in such a way that proves I've repented, that I've come to my senses and I understand I'm in deep need of God's saving grace. But here's the thing. We can repent of superficial sins. We can be so good at behavior management that people look at us and go, wow, you're such a great person. Look at how you live. You live such a wonderful life. I mean, you do all these amazing things. God just must be so proud of you. And we can refuse or fail to dig deeper to the heart issues that we all wrestle with, and it's a sin of pride. It says, you know what, I've been pretty good. Like, I've been so good, I don't know that I need Jesus saving grace. I don't know that I need him as savior. Like, I think I can get there on my own. That is the sin of pride. Pride shows up in all of our lives in different ways. Sometimes it shows up in rebellion. That's how the younger son dealt with pride. But the older son dealt with pride in this even harder way to see because it was so subtle. And people look again at his life and say, wow, you are fantastic. You're the model Christ follower. You're the model God follower. And yet without digging deep enough, we can give in to that sin of pride saying, I don't need Jesus. I can do it on my own. 
So Jesus ends this story in kind of an abrupt way. And he doesn't kind of wrap it up with this beautiful ending where the older son comes to his senses, recognizes that he's been lost. He needs to be found and come back to the father. And then they you know, come in and live happily ever after at the party. But that's not how the story ends. So Jesus ends this story in verse 31. He says, this is the father speaking. He says, look, dear son, you always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And he leaves it there. And I wonder, and if leaving it there, he's asking some uh, rhetorical questions to his audience as they're listening. Like, you're the older brother in the story. So what are you going to do? You have a pride problem. You're just as lost as the younger brother was. Will you recognize that? Will you recognize that you're lost? Will you stop trying to earn your way? Will you stop trying to demand something from God? Will you stop saying, God, you owe me because I've done all the right things? Will you recognize you're lost? Will you recognize your pride issue? Will you come to your senses? Will you repent of that? And will you turn back to the Father? I think Jesus is asking some of those same questions today for us. There just might be a few of us here that are in a self-righteous moment or self-righteous season where you recognize, you know what, I, like, I've been doing it on my own. Like I, I feel like my good behavior earns me something and God owes me something because of that behavior. And maybe today in this moment, as you hear this story, maybe you, you would be willing to recognize and say, I'm, I'm that person and I need to repent of that. More than just say, God, I'm sorry, but I need to turn from that. And we all need to learn how to celebrate when lost younger brothers are found. And we all need to learn how to celebrate when lost older brothers are found. We, we need to learn how to help older brothers look beyond the surface of just behavior management and dig deeper to the, the true heart issue of pride. So if you're in that spot today, I encourage you to have a conversation with God about that as we celebrate communion. So we're about to celebrate communion together and it's kind of a special day for us as we do that. Um, something I, I enjoy doing here is our church family. And if you're new to Epic, uh, we may do communion a little bit differently than you're used to. So let me explain how we do that, and then we'll celebrate that together. So we have uh, six different stations set up. We have two up front, and we have four stations in the back. And at Epic, we believe that communion should be open to anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, whether you call this your church home or not. So if you're, this is your very first time coming here, you've been coming for a long time, doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower, we invite you to be a part of communion with us. And as you come up to the tables, you'll notice there are two commu communion elements there, little pieces of bread, little cups of juice. The bread represents Christ's body, which was broken for us. The juice represents Christ's blood, which was poured out for us. And that's what we were talking about last week when we talked about the extravagant price that God paid to invite us back home. So that's what we're celebrating today is that extravagant price, this new covenant, new promise that God has made for us. So when you come up, just pick up a piece of bread, 
pick up uh, one of the little cups of juice. And then you can step to one side and take communion right there in that moment. Or you can go sit back down and take communion as this next worship song is going on. But I just want to make it clear that you'll be taking communion during the next song uh, when you are ready. So everybody at a different spot in that song should take communion. And by the end of the song, then everyone should have taken it. Hopefully that all makes sense. Now, um, Evan and Mitch are going to come out in a minute, and they are going to guide us through a song during communion, and that song is an old hymnal called Come Thou Fount, and it's one of my favorite old songs, and it's got some language in it that we don't really use today, so when you read it or hear the words, you might be like, what does that word mean? Not really sure, but here's what I want you to focus on. There's a line in there. There's actually two lines. The first line says this. It says, prone to wander Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And I've got to admit, that's me. And I think we all have to admit at some point or another in our lives, that's us. So whether we have left God or are currently in a season where we have left God through rebellion or through self-righteousness, thinking we can do it on our own, we don't really need Jesus. Will you confess that to God this morning? Will you repent of that? Say, God, like, I am in desperate need of your grace. Forgive me of my rebellion or forgive me of my self-righteousness. So start that conversation with God during communion. Then there's the next line in this song that, that says this. It says, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So this morning, I'd love for us during communion, for us to basically just kind of give God our heart symbolically and say, God, like, I'm not so good with this thing. Like, I need your help. Would you take it? Would you hold it? Would you seal it from me? Because when I have all of it, I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave you. And I don't want that. So this morning, we can ask God to seal our hearts and hold our hearts and protect us from those moments when we're tempted to wander. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, they took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful for stories like this in scripture where Jesus, you help us to understand what what God the Father is really like. Too often we have the wrong perception Too often we we see you as that distant, cold-hearted God who likes people to, to crawl to him and grovel when we've messed up. And yet, God, that's not what you're like. You're the God who runs to us. You're the God who searches everywhere to to find us. You're the God that embraces us when we repent of our sins and we turn and say, like, I've blown it. I need you. And so, God, we all wrestle with this sin of pride. We all have pride issues, and some of our pride issues lead to rebellion. Some of our pride issues lead to self-righteousness. 
So, Lord, there may be somebody here today who's in a season of rebellion, and and they know today, right now, is the moment that beyond just admitting that, beyond just like coming to their senses, they need to turn to you and radically change how they live. But I pray that as they do that, they would sense your embrace, and I pray that they would understand it's not about just following the rules. It's about living in response to the grace that we've been given. Lord, there might be some folks today that are wrestling with the pride of self-righteousness, feeling like I've been good enough, I've followed all the rules, I can get there on my own, I don't really need to be found by God. So that's a harder thing for us to recognize in our lives. So Lord, if somebody's wrestling with that today, I pray that you would help them to see that and not just come to their senses. Take that a step further, repent of that, Lord, help them to repent deeply of that and and to see that we're all in need of God's saving grace. And Lord, I pray that that we would all leave trying to help other older brothers understand that radical truth that we can be lost in our self-righteousness and we still need to be found. So Lord, we're grateful this morning for the extravagant price that you paid so that all of us could be found. And we celebrate that today through communion. Lord, we give you our hearts. We ask you to take them and seal them for your kingdom and your courts above. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. You're now free to get up and celebrate communion.